It's freezing. Freezing cold. Oh, no, to look at you. Although the kind of undergarment gives it away there, Neil. Uh, I want to keep your, up the trend, you know. Hawaiian shirt, notwithstanding. Um, Summer is how you feel on the inside. Okay. I, I feel freezing. Okay. You Excellent. create your own reality then. Yeah. Good. Let yeah. me know how that goes for you. <laughs> next week, it's polo next. Like, well, I have one on. Them, but yeah. I think right. they have to get the woolly sweater out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, cold is, uh, is a problem. Um, people don't know. You, you, <clears throat> probably if you've been paying attention to government and the news and stuff like that, over the past, well, X number of years, you'd probably think that the heat is the killer, right? Global warming. I mean, yeah. global warming, you know, increasingly hot summers, temperatures in the planet are going to rise, uh, sea we'll levels be, are going to drop. Uh, but basically, yeah, like kind of... We'll like all be dead in, in, a, in a year or something. Well, that's what they told Greta and the school kids. Yeah, you'd be cooked. We'll all be cooked, basically, you know. Hmm. But um, just this year, since the beginning of uh, the since the Russia special military operation special military operation small yeah the SMO in Ukraine um, there's been a bit more talk about cold and heating this winter and you know take cold showers mm. and take that Putin and that kind of inane bullshit um, but, but at least they're on something about the cold they're yes, kind of in the right ballpark yeah right? but it's like they've set it up and it's kind of too late you know what I mean I mean it's one thing to say um you know, well, global warming and, you know, large, broad-scale, macro kind of human activity causing the planet to warm over a certain period of time and, you know, trying to reduce the temperature. You know, it's it's that's a much more vague, broad-scale uh, proposition, you know. But um, in terms of cold, winter, it's cold every winter uh, in, in most of, well, most of the Northern Hemisphere to one extent or another. And it's pretty well known that to avoid, you know, problems with cold for the for the population, you basically ensure that they have adequate means to heat their homes and themselves. But Go away. Year, yeah, I know it's a shocking idea, but <laughs> well, no, that's what they do, right? Uh, but what's really shocking is that this year, over the past few months, uh, well, since the beginning of the the SMO SMO in, in, in Ukraine, the SMO in Ukraine, they. Um, Western governments in particular have um, just given up. Well, specifically no, taken action, like enacted policies that had a very clear negative, have very clear negative implications for people being able to heat their homes and themselves this winter. Um, and if you just look at this, I mean, it's not new, but maybe a lot of people don't know it, but I mean, I've come across it before, but cold, cold kills far more people than heat. In some places, like eight, nine, ten times uh, as as many people die every year from cold than they do from heat. This is it's from a Lancet study. Um, U.S. and Canada, twenty k die on average per year from heat. One hundred seventy one thousand die from the cold. Eight times as much. Europe, one hundred seventy nine k versus six hundred fifty seven k from the cold. Uh, Africa, one point two million cold deaths. Two point four million cold deaths in Asia. Um, you just see a graph, graph down there representing that. So um, it's and there's the guy has more graphs uh, further on down, but um, I'll put a link in the description. But he, uh, it just kind of strikes me as there's a there's a kind of a disconnection, I suppose, between the apparent concern of governments for people are dying, you know, mm. from whatever 
uh, whatever preventable preventable deaths, let's say, or deaths that are, like, yeah, that can be prevented by, by government policies or pe- people taking action or people being able to take action, as in the case of COVID. And then this year, uh, right now, coming into, really coming into winter in, in Western Europe, and it's going to get uh, quite cold over the next few weeks, I think, uh, based on based on models. Um, there doesn't seem to be much concern. In fact, they're not only are they not concerned about people dying and there's like, I, like we just saw, there's a much higher chance of people dying from cold than from heat. They've actually been doing things over the past few months that will, could arguably, will arguably increase the number of deaths uh, amongst European and American populations, um, particularly European populations, which we'll talk about in a little bit uh, this, this winter. So how do you square that? Can you explain that to me? The, the, the almost feverish, hysterical concern around COVID for saving people's lives, stopping people from dying, and this, like I just let out, an apparent disregard, not only disregard for people, people's, people's lives uh, and them dying, but actually taking action to increase it. How do you, how do you square that? The same government. The same government's doing the two things. How do, you, how, do you, how do you work that one out? How do you have to, you know, make sense of that in, in, in my head? What's the answer? Yeah, no, that's a big ask. You're asking me to explain the internal logic of what goes on inside government's heads between these two complaints. Well, how, how do they justify both? They can't. Well, this is, here's let me let me do well, a, something has a, to be false. Here's a preamble something question. Has to be false, they obviously know about that data, right? Yeah, the of course. Coal kills far more people. Ignore for very long. How do they square that? How, how do they explain? Because I know they have tried to. I've heard it before, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. But how do they explain how global warming, man-made global warming, causes more cold? Because they are trying to explain that. that they well, they've said that for a while. Yeah. It's very complicated. Don't even try. Don't even try. Exactly. Models. Well, that's it. Just Models. It. Climate models. So how do you answer the next question? Well, shit. The government just knows what it's doing. Well, more pointedly is that... That's all like... The va- the, it's either that or you, they haven't a clue what they're doing. Yeah, those five, eight, ten times as many deaths each year on average from cold and heat is largely in the elderly population. Certainly that's preventable death, right? I mean, the whole thing about COVID and vaccines and all that kind of stuff and lockdowns was preventable deaths. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have kind of suggested over the, over the past year or two that um, a lot of the deaths from COVID were not preventable deaths. Um, they were people who were, as the government, uh, government stat- statisticians call them dry tinder. These are people who are, have, for want of a better term, one foot in the grave already. They have a very short lifespan. Sure, that's callous. Well, people do die, Neil, and I don't know if you, you're aware of that, but I mean, over the past few years, we've become painfully aware of the fact that people do die. I mean, it was the first for me, I admit it, it was the first for me when COVID broke and, uh, and I realised that all these people were dying. I had no idea that people died at all. I mean, in my lifetime, I've known a few people who have died, but I thought that was it. And then to have the government and media suddenly, day after day, tell me that all these people were dying. I was like, holy shit, what's happening? What's gone wrong? You know, why have people suddenly started dying? Uh, but I've got, got, kind of got used to it at this point. I've, I've accepted the fact that people do actually die. Um, but, um, so there was this drive to, you know, prevent people from dying. And like we've said, the, the vast majority of people who, who were in danger and may have died from with COVID were people who had a very low, short life expectancy anyway. They were very old, elderly people with multiple comorbidities. So I wouldn't call those preventable deaths. Uh, you know, that action had to be taken to prevent those deaths because those people were scheduled effectively to die anyway. I know that's a horrible idea. 
uh, along with the idea that people die at all. But people who are scheduled to die, i.e. someone with chronic liver failure or whatever for several years or 10 if years. If not this winter, the next right. kind of thing. That's what they call dry tinder, basically. Yeah. If they don't die this winter, then it's they're all stacked up to, to burn off uh, next winter. So well, then the point is people... Maybe that's just being applied here on, on terms of energy. Yeah. Well, maybe the, the governments are deciding that... The difference being that there's been action taken to facilitate it. Yeah. It's one thing to go, okay, people die, just let it happen. And that uh, has always been the case of gov- the government's uh, attitude and approach to deaths among the population, especially with uh, elderly deaths. Uh, well, people got to die, so just hands off, let it happen, no big deal. Um, that's one thing. And that's acceptable, it's understandable, nobody can stop anyone from dying, everybody has their time and, and their place. But when governments enact policies, as they have done over the past number of uh, months, vis-a-vis the SMO, as you call it, in, in Ukraine, where they've deliberately, consciously, it has to be it has to be said, apparently consciously, taken action to increase this pos- the chances that larger numbers of people will, th- will die um, this winter and next winter, because of government policies vis-à-vis uh, Russian Russian gas or energy supplies to Europe, basically, you know, get a tea light, put it under a, a, a ceramic <laughs> garden pot, and huddle around that. Take cold showers; that'll that'll definitely that'll pop a lot of people's clogs uh, if they're in the, in the right conditions, you know. So anyway, the question. Well, let, let me just maybe maybe this is the the, the least you can say is that. It shows that the highest priority is defeating Russia or Putin, right. Putin slash Russia. You know what I mean? It, it has sufficient priority to them such that it's more important. They don't than mind killing more people than died from COVID. Yeah, because this this is even more important to them. Right. Right. Yeah. Apparently, for the very least, you can say that. And why is it more important? Ah, that's a question. You. you What's tweeted, so important you, about it? You tweeted something. Maybe you want to. Show yeah. it later, but when we're more on topic. <coughs> but you tweeted something, uh, a little clip from the Polish Prime Minister. Is she spoke in English or was translated yeah, yeah. for him? Yeah, this is it here. Um, yeah, and you you invited people to explain this. I couldn't. I I came up with several different. It's possible, but well, I don't but it's know. obviously the sixty more sixty four million dollar question, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what he just have a listen. It's only ten seconds or something. In the war. Unleashed by Russia, there can only be one result. Uh, either Ukraine wins or, or the whole of Europe is lost. Not the whole of Europe loses, but the whole of Europe is lost. So Ukraine has to win. Russia has to lose whatever those, you know, what's the criteria for winning and losing? That, that's another question that isn't, right. isn't answered. Or, uh, hasn't been asked, I suppose, but isn't answered either. What do you mean by win and what do you mean by lose? What are, the, what are the conditions for winning and losing? And also, why if Ukraine does not win, the whole of Europe is lost? Is lost. lost to what? I don't know. Lost but, to an ice age. The reason this... Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't know. I don't the, know. Reason, the reason this um, it sticks out for me is because him saying that is, for me anyway, obviously the most likely... Uh, it's a reference to the most likely, the most plausible, most logical um, explanation or re- reason for why Europe is doing what it's doing vis-a-vis Ukraine in terms of full, absolute, un- uh, undying support for Ukraine forever. You know, you go, aren't th- I mean, really, Europe? Like, I mean, you're, 
Except you're, you're, short of sending actual official troops in uniform. Yeah. They're sending mercenaries. Yeah. But, yeah. but they, I suppose they'll do that if they think that's effective or enough. You know, they don't have to send, send their own uh, troops into it because I don't think they, they wouldn't be able to get an agreement to do that anyway. And no one country is going to send a bunch of group, troops just to get, get slaughtered. So. Still, point taken, they're doing a lot. They're doing to the point of obvious self-harm at this point. Self-harm. Admitted self-harm. Right. So when you see them doing this, like basically taking action that is self-harming, and you go, why would they be doing that? Why don't they just like push for a negotiated agreement? Why don't they push Ukraine and Zelensky mm. to say, listen, just let, let Russia have why Donbass all, all or nothing? and Crimea. Just an absolute. Keep, you know, 80% of the country. We'll work it out. You know, what, why isn't there... It's, yeah, why is it such an all or nothing situation? Everybody's seen that, right? And the answer is why, why? And then he gives this partial... It's yeah. not even an answer, but it it exposes the extent of their commitment and, and, and the reason, at least in the few words that he gave, the reason for their commitment, which is he believes, and I suppose other European leaders believe, that if they don't do what they're doing, i.e. self-harming themselves effectively, that more harm will come to Europe. Europe is lost, like extreme harm will come to Europe. Europe will be lost. How will Europe be lost as a result of Russia winning? Russia wins, let's say, it takes most of Ukraine, half of Ukraine, say it takes Kiev, and that half of Ukraine all of, from the middle down, all, all of the east of Ukraine. Big buffer zone. Russia's happy with that. You know, new government in, in Ukraine, a bit more Russia compliant. Whatever way it works out. How does that translate to Europe is lost? Well, when I started thinking through to answer your tweet, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can't. Maybe we only see the tip of an iceberg, below which the rest of the iceberg is a huge amount of investment European and American companies have had prior to now inside of Ukraine, huge land tracts that American companies own in the south, in, in the agricultural regions, mining rights perhaps, um, energy, um, some of, a lot of, actually of Russian gas that pipes through Ukraine supplies Europe, um, three of the big five pipelines, yeah, I think. but that's Russian gas, Russia. it's not Ukrainian. It's not Ukrainian. That, was, that will continue to flow. Russia there there, are, there are large shale, but there's... A lot of investment in fracking. Burisma, Hunter Biden's investment in Ukraine was into fracking inside of Ukraine itself. Um, that's what I thought. Maybe, uh, yeah. maybe they're so deep there that the knock-on economic effects are vast. But you think that would, would, would already be being would, felt? No, would cripple them. It's a, it should already be crippling them, given the, the downturn in. Well, know, that's, well, is that not life, what's happening? Um, Europe is. Well, energy prices went up because. That's largely because of sanctions against yeah. Russia. Can't do with Ukraine. I don't think there's much in the way of investments, significant investments in Ukraine. Okay. Ukraine has never really provided much. I mean, to the world, yeah, it provides a small percentage of the world's uh, wheat and sunflower oil and, and and a few other grains and stuff. But compared to Russia and other major crop producers, it's it's not something that's going to cause. It might. It may. Have, in, in a certain situation, it may cause serious problems for Africa or Middle Eastern countries, but not for Europe. Okay, so it's not a resource thing. So it's not a, a reality-based, well, a physical thing. So it's a principle, it's an ideological thing. I, I'm trying to think, if he's concerned, he's probably a materialist. You know, most people in charge today are hardcore. This world is all there is, must mm -hmm. take. Mm -hmm. It's it's me or him. You know, it's dog-eat-dog, -dog, jungle, right? Mm -hmm. Um Surely it isn't if it's not something physical that you, Ukraine has that Russia Russia will win, therefore we'll lose mm -hmm. in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. It's something ideological. Yeah, for sure. Ideological. Because at the same time, his government is advising Polish citizens 
to go to open they've opened national parks and told them you're free on certain days and we'll try and monitor it so no one goes ape shit but you're free on certain days to go to national parks and scavenge for wood to mm-hmm. keep warm mm-hmm. this winter mm-hmm. so he's that's his government quote unquote doing something about the situation mm-hmm. caring right for the mm-hmm. population mm-hmm. um Try and solve a problem, half solve a problem. But that they I caused. suppose, what, okay, what we're getting to now, well, the real solutions would have been peace, would have been trade deals, mm-hmm. would have been to, uh, not to sabotage. Those, Remember, the ex-Polish foreign minister said, thank you, USA, when Nord Stream blew up. Mm-hmm. The real solution would have been not to wreck your energy sources mm-hmm. for ideological reasons, mm-hmm. geopolitical, imper- Im- Im- imperial reasons, mm-hmm. And that's why they've they've gone in so far now. There's only one way. Mm-hmm. The only way out is through. I think they obviously started out with that idea as well. You know what I mean? That's why they that they started on this course and, and carried on through it. You know, so the idea the ideology was there at the very beginning. The ideology, I think, is um, the same as the American. There's a lot of people, especially Polish people, Polish politicians in particular, have uh, internalized the America's exceptionalist ideology, America ruling the world, America the global hegemon, America on top, and states like Poland as their vassals who get you know the scrap. Well, they, they live fairly well because their boss is very rich and the scraps they get are quite uh, quite valuable scraps, right? But um, I think they've tied themselves ideologically to the American vision, the Western Anglo-American vision of West is best, West is on top, and he understands to the extent you know, that he's able to, understands the geopolitics of it and that uh, if 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 Russia was able to take Ukraine and to assert itself in, a, in Ukraine and Europe was to just say okay whatever, then Europe continues as a. It's not even it's not even that Europe is in a worse off position. W- Europe continues uh, in the situation that it was already in, which is being uh, over the years increasingly dependent on uh, Russian energy sources, gas and oil, particularly gas. And that is seen as leverage, and it means that Europe eventually comes into the kind of Russian sphere of influence, or sphere of influence, or an Eastern sphere of influence, basically, and America falls from grace. And for him, that's the death of Europe, as being joined at the hip with America. If America falls, then Europe has to uh, either pick a side. Or fall with America, essentially. You know, it had to make a choice. There was a choice being forced. And Russia was, in a certain sense, forcing a choice, but just through the natural evolution of, you know, development of Russian industry and, and, and cooperation between, you know, countries uh, next door to, to, to Russia, basically, over the past 20 years, let's say. And America, obviously, as we know, America never liked that, was never happy about that, and did all along everything it could to kind of thwart it and stop it and forestall it. Um, but it got to the point over the past few years, well, it really started about eight years ago when they started arming and training and funding uh, Ukrainian, the Ukrainian military to, to create what we have today, which is a drive wedge, uh, a schism <coughs> uh, between Europe and uh, and Russia, and to say, listen, Europe... So this is all American-driven, basically. America saying, Europe, you're ours, you're mine, I own you. Don't you even think about crossing a red line where you would kind of abandon me to any significant extent. Uh, if you do, there'll be hell to pay. And we're seeing that today. I mean, obviously, it was an attack directly on, on Russia to try and... But it wasn't so much an attack on Russia. The situation in, in Ukraine wasn't an attack on Russia specifically. It was an attack on Europe, primarily. And we're seeing that right now. That, And we will see it over the next year. 
that Europe is obviously initially, well, we talked about, you know, uh, freezing, its population freezing, uh, but also deindustrialization of Europe, which goes hand in hand with freezing because if people are freezing or are unable to, to heat themselves adequately, that means businesses are in a similar situation in terms of energy shortages and stuff, which means their uh, European energy or European industry uh, takes a hit. Um, so, yeah. I, I, two articles about this topic, but one kind of well, here's the question first. Is Ireland's energy supply mm. a northern European country that has, you know, 10-month-long winters, arguably? Not super cold, but wintry. Its energy supply doesn't ever, doesn't, didn't before and didn't, doesn't now depend on Russia. Ireland, no. No. Good small country. Small country. Okay, well, can you put that article up, Scotty? This is from the Irish Examiner this week. Eamon Ryan. Eamon Ryan is Ireland's um, uh, environment minister, head of the Green Party in a dodgy coalition in the government, whatever. This is his shtick. By 2025, three years, three years' time, Ireland will generate enough solar, power, solar electricity to power the country. What, the whole country? Yeah, literally, the entire electric grid. That's what he's claiming. Um... I'm no expert, but I've heard a lot of people say that this is pipe dream. Yep. It's, it's not. We don't have the technology to do that. You don't have the climate to do that. Most importantly. Um, there's no Ukraine war, obvious Ukraine war geopolitical tie-in with that story. That's standalone, so to speak. There's nothing to do with getting Putin in what the Irish... Minister declared last week. So, what the hell is? And this goes back to your stats at the beginning. I mean, is he is he not aware that he's talking about people not being able to heat their homes? Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that's the reality. And he's what's suggesting we'll just get used to it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, dot dot dot. No, what he's saying, without saying it, whether he realizes it or not, is we're going to see a lot of people die from preventable deaths if we if I'm serious and I push this through by three years time only so him yeah well he doesn't know that but see he just believes yes yeah he's just ideology he is a very he's from the green party he believes that right so he believes that that's a standalone a separate issue it has overlapping consequences Mm -hmm. with the other topic but he believes that nothing to do with Putin and Russia and Ukraine he like so many many others is a tool in espousing that green agenda, he's a tool uh, of, you just said the whole green, greening of the economy was, has, has, has nothing in it that's, ostensibly anyway, nothing in it that's attacking against Russia. But I think, I mean, if you look back to when that started, you know, Al Gore, you know, of course it was back in the 70s and all, kind of, all that kind of stuff. But um, in earnest, it began in the maybe late 90s, mm. whatever, the, the pushing for... Uh, doing away with fossil fuels, sustainable sustainability, sustainability uh, green greening of the economy, solar panels, wind farms. That's about it. A few other hydro, whatever, but mainly solar panels and wind farms. Uh, if you think about it, and that was led pr- from America. It was a plot. <laughs> Let's say it is a plot that was hatched in America to California, especially. Yeah, to reset the global economy. 
away from fossil fuels, get rid like you get rid of fossil fuels yeah, completely. Stop, not just ha- just stop oil. They've got kids now right. going out and wrecking right. everything. They can. Um, so when you look at um, if you if you consider that America has certainly since the since the mid nineteen nineties or even well, obviously way back in the Cold War, but it never really changed from the Cold War into the new Cold War today. Uh, Russia has been Russia's is was seen is seen by the US in particular as its primary along with China, but they're kind of two separate categories in a certain sense. But Russia is uh, America's primary opponent or primary th- the primary threat to American hege- hegemony. And the prize is area. Europe, as right. Matthias, what's his name, says Europe will be lost. If, okay. Right. Yeah. So the, if you consider that Russia, and what did John McCain call Russia? Uh, a, big ma- a big gas station masquerading yeah. as a country. Yeah. So obviously Russia's vast natural fossil fuel reserves to facilitate to supply its own needs and also the needs of, you know, billions, potentially billions of people around the world. Uh, so ru- if you stick with fossil fuels, Russia has a, a bright future. But if you get rid of fossil fuels, Russia has not so bright a future. So what you're getting at here is that the whole green thing, while it developed legs of its own and has its own ideological adherence, it was primarily pushed as a foil, as a deceptive cover by a Western-slash-American imperial elite who were going to pretend to also jump the gun with everyone. Well, hold hands and we'll all jump off the cliff together. But at the last minute, America was not going to jump off the cliff. It was going to stand there and watch all the lemmings jump off the cliff. And the lemmings are doing it, which is bizarre to watch, especially in Europe. Uh, I remember back in, I remember seeing it like in the early 2000s, 2003, 2004, post-Iraq invasion, I can't remember his name now. There's a, there's a relatively well-known neocon at the time who was in there with him. He had a beard. I want to say his name is Green. His surname is Green or Green something, whatever. But anyway, uh, he was at the time big into push. He was pushing for electric cars. We need electric cars, electric cars, electric cars. Mm. I was like, what the fuck is a neocon? You know, a guy who just championed the invasion of Iraq ostensibly for oil to get oil. What is he suddenly, like a couple of years later... In all sorts of uh, articles he was writing, penning for, you know, conservative neocon type uh, outlets, talking about the need for a green agenda, uh, including electric cars and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it didn't make sense to me at the time. I was like, what the hell? There's a pipe dream. What's this guy even talking about? Has he just like, has he got bored with, you know, uh, uh, talking about neocon stuff, you know, invading Iraq and Iran and stuff? And he's, he's, suddenly, he's suddenly on... Um, the green agenda, but a new cash more, cow or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, of course, it is a cash cow because people are making money from it. But it primarily is geopolitical in nature and ideological in nature, from the point of view of the ideology of America first, American hegemony, American exceptionalism. Um, so I think it's it's a it's a plot. Like I said, that's been was hatched primarily with that. That's the main agenda. Uh, of course, in the process, you could throw in if you want to go deeper down the rabbit hole, you could throw in that. As we've just been talking about deaths from cold, uh, you could throw in that it's a depopulation agenda. And I don't know if that if, if such an agenda actually exists or not, but if that's a result, that's what well, I'm going to say. Oops, that was a mistake. It was just a collateral damage that you know millions of people died as a result of us trying to uh, transition to a to a green economy. Uh, but I think, as we know, in Washington, in the think tanks, in the deep state. Uh, it's geopolitical. It's always geopolitical, mm. and it's ideological. It's America first. Uh, so certainly, when you look at Russia and Russia's future and the basis of basis of, of Russia's economy, 
being fossil fuels, and then you see America, Russia's enemy, suddenly championing, champion, championing uh, a, a move away from fossil fuels. Let's stop using fossil fuels. After being on top of the whole 20th century because right. of the Seven Sisters, the big oil, the Anglo-American right. oil companies, right. and then they take the lead in it. And the only plausible reason is that it's, it's humanitarian, right? They want to save the planet. Mm. That's the, the foil on the front is we're doing it to save the planet. We care. And we hear someone like, you know, Rumsfeld or Dick Cheney or George Bush or any of their, forber, uh, any of their ideological heirs uh, talking about uh, save the planet and we care so much and we're bleeding hearts. And I mean, you got to, if you, if you don't go, dude, really, you know, pull the other one, then you're lost. Like you really have no understanding at all of, you can't even read human beings at a very basic level. Do you know what I mean? Um, So yeah, Um, there's this, uh, let me just throw this up. This is from the economy, the latest economist. Ah, yeah, I Uh, saw this too. And it's, uh, it's quite the cover. Yeah. Um, Frozen out, how the world is leaving Europe behind. That picture is, you know, so it's a, it's a metaphor, right? Frozen out economically or whatever, but the picture actually shows icicles hanging off a snow-covered continent or the EU, basically, uh, which may actually you know, turn out to be more literal than, than, than metaphorical. But So it's behind a paywall, but I found the actual article. Um, somebody grabbed it and reposted it with some comments in between. Um, some Norway posts English, I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, it just had the headline there on on the top. You just scroll down a little bit. So the italic text here is from the article. Don't be fooled by the flow of good news from Europe in recent weeks. Energy prices are down after the summer and good weather means that the gas storage is almost full, but the energy crisis still poses dangers. Gas prices are six times higher than the long-term average. Russia threatened to throttle the last operational pipeline to Europe, even as missile strikes caused emergency power outages across Ukraine. And Europe's gas reserves must be filled again in 2023, this time without Russian gas whatsoever. Uh, our modelling suggests that a 10% increase in real energy prices in a normal winter is associated with a 0.6% increase in deaths. Therefore, the energy crisis this year could lead to over 100,000 extra deaths among the elderly across Europe. Wow, not only are they aware of it, they're bloody modeling it. Yeah. There's no screaming about people dying this time. Yeah, not at all. It's fine. Scroll down a bit more. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, it's just more. callous cycles. You know, models show how, how you fuel price could kill more Europeans. Keep going. Four main factors influence how many people will die in Europe outside of Ukraine this winter. The two easiest are the severity of the flu season and temperatures. And temperatures. Cold helps viruses, blah, 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 suppress the immune system, blah, 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 blah. Uh, con- these deaths are concentrated among the elderly. <clears throat> uh, surprisingly, the gap in seasonal death rates is greater in warm countries than in cold countries. Uh, in Portugal, 36% more people die per year in winter than in summer. Again, cold. While Finland, only 13% more do. Anyway, um, keep going a little bit. Uh, so it's in, in, here it's into uh, the size of this effect varies from country to country Italy had the most predicted deaths due to its high, sky high electricity costs and large aging population the model does not take into account Italy's generous new subsidies to households these transfers must be very efficient to compensate for such high prices Estonia and Finland also do poorly per person at the opposite extreme France and the UK which have introduced gas price caps 
are doing reasonably well and predicted mortality in Spain is almost flat. Um, keep going. This is basically the, the, the Economist article. Um, so this fear has been heightened by U.S. economic nationalism, which threatens to drag activity across the Atlantic into a whirlwind of subsidies and protectionism. President Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Bill includes $400 billion in handouts for energy, manufacturing and transportation and includes Make in America provisions. But, but they promised us that with, with Trump gone, economic nationalism would end. Yes. Oops. Oops. I just stole that from Trump. In many ways, the arrangement is similar to the industrial policy that China has pursued for decades. At the other two pillars of the world economy, as the other two pillars of the world economy become more interventionist and protectionist, Europe, with its peculiar insistence on maintaining world trade organization free trade rules, looks like madness. Suckers. Yeah. That's another. You believe that's another the rules. Shtick they've they been all believe the rules. Yeah. They were telling them that for decades. No, no, no. You can't invest in the home because that's subsidies, that's unfair competition, blah, 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 blah. It was not yeah. bullshit. Too. It was part of the foil. Yeah. Companies are already re- reacting to the subsidies. This is European companies. Northvolt, an award-winning Swedish battery manufacturing startup, has said it wants to expand production in the United, United States. States. Iberdrola, a Spanish energy company, invests twice as much in the U.S. as in the EU. Many bosses warn that the combination of expensive energy and U.S. subsidies put Europe at risk of mass deindustrialization. BASF, a German chemical giant, recently unveiled plans to shrink its European operations permanently. It doesn't help that Europe is aging faster than America either. <laughs> um, so that's this is basically what's happening, and it's it's been talked about openly. Um, Diabolical, but fascinating. It's, it's been talked about openly as as an as a war, uh, an economic war, by the U.S. on Europe at a time when we're all meant to be, you know, Europe and America are hand in glove, right? NATO's stronger than ever, closer than ever. This is another one from on, on Politico. Uh, same topic. EU plans subsidy war chest as industry faces existential threat from the U.S. European industry is on an emergency footing thanks to high gas prices and new lavish subsidies for American rivals. So the Americans are basically taking, you know, obviously planned. They didn't just say, oh, here's an opportunity that just happened to come along. I mean, you have to assume that it was planned, right? Mm. But this whole situation of the Ukraine war, planned like we've been saying, and mm. everybody, everybody with any sense knows, planned, uh, I don't know how long ago, but certainly since the U.S. backed coup in 2014 in, in Ukraine, and then eight years of arming, funding, and training a Ukrainian army that would threaten Russia and provoke Russia into a conflict in Ukraine. And then the predictable, even way back then, I suppose, if they were modeling it out from a political models, mm-hmm. modeling it out that um, Europe would be horrified. Of course, America would be horrified too and would encourage Europe to be horrified at what Russia has done, this unprovoked, quote-unquote, attack on Ukraine, and then cut off... And then the main thing that you get from Russia is what? Energy. Cut it off. Punish Russia. Yes, Europe. You should put, yes, tighten your belt a bit more, Europe. Yes. Stop eating, some, stop eating so much. Uh, the Ukrainian well, people. It's, it's more like you're slit your wrists. Slit yes, your wrists. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. And then, of course, now that they're starting to see a bit more clearly, they go, okay, what's the one thing that would make us competitive again with the United States and China? It would be alliance with Russia. But that's the one thing that's been set up to block them. From doing <clears throat> on that political, <clears throat> sorry, in the political political article, uh, just put it back up there. The EU is in emergency mode in the first paragraph. Uh, is readying a, the EU is readying a big subsidy push to prevent European industry from being wiped out by American rivals. Wiped out. 
two senior EU officials told Political. So that's what's going on. But <clears throat> that's from Politico. And the other one from, is from The Economist that more or less spells it out in the same way. It's behind a paywall, of course, so very few people reading it. What most people do read, though, and can read for, you know, at least partly for free, is The Telegraph. And on the same day that these articles come out, or, mm. you know, The Telegraph, Ambrose Evans Pritchard tells everybody that Putin has another gas shock for us, the deindustrialization of Europe. Putin's doing it. So right. you have Politico Clever. and The Economist saying Clever. that America is actually doing it and it seems to be part of a long-term plan, but the blame is to be put on Putin. Even though two EU officials just said, right, doesn't no, matter. it's America doing it. That's great. Well, that's, that's the British doing their uh, speak doing out thing. of both sides of the mouth, their um, perfidious thing, you know. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating how it's all coming together, decades long. Yep. Just go back um, to political if you still have bullshit. it up, Scotty. Um, just want to read the second paragraph. Europe is facing a double hammer blow from the US if it weren't enough that energy prices looked set to remain permanently far higher than those in, in the US. Thanks to Russia's war in Ukraine, of course, political says thanks to Russia's war. Uh, US President Joe Biden is also currently rolling out, this is the $390 billion industrial subsidy scheme, which is the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and in fact, they call it an Inflation Reduction Act, which is weird as well. If you look it up on Wikipedia, the Inflation Reduction Act, most of that money goes to investments in what? Green energy. Exactly. Solar panels, wind farms. For businesses, subs subsidies for businesses to start creating, building, manufacturing uh, green energy solutions that they can then sell to Europe. Because Europe can't build full them themselves, saps. and Europe can't build them themselves because they've been deindustrialized, or rather, the green companies, the green energy companies that had been set up in Europe, can no longer function in Europe because of the energy prices provoked effectively by America, not by Russia. Mm. Which means that those companies, not only do American companies, then you know, they have the lion's share of the sales, but those companies from Europe move to America because they're entitled to the subsidies as well. They make themselves an American company, an American subsidiary, and they're entitled to a bunch of that 400 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act to build it all in America and then sell it to the world, sell it to poor Europe. Poor Europe got itself in a war. Oh, not again. Didn't you do this in World War II where you got yourselves into a war and we just kind of like fed both sides, but we fed you at least, we fed whoever, both sides of the part, fed the conflict with loads and loads and loads of weapons and while, while racking up all the charges to you, which mm. you've been repaying ever since, and effectively in World War II deindustrialized Europe and did most to actually create America, the America that we know today, uh, of the American hegemon and the, you know, the global policeman. So it's happening again. They're just pulling the old... Here, in a sense, they're pulling the World War II playbook yeah. uh, or dusting it off. And uh, here's, here's how screwed Europe is. You had two anonymous officials talk to Politico. Mm. This is the EU chief, our chief, Herr Fraulein, yeah. six days ago. Quote, I welcome the signature of the Inflation Reduction Act by at POTUS. With it, our American flag partners are laying the groundwork for a clean energy economy in the U.S. Europe and the U.S. will keep on investing in climate action because global warming requires global action. Yep. Can't, she can't she, she is selling Europe's deindustrialization to the United States, she's she's behind this plan. Mm -hmm. She's she's like 
midwife in there. Just go back. Uh, sorry to go back to political again, but it's just that there's two more paragraphs, at least that I want to, want to read up. But they're the third and fourth. Uh, EU officials feel that businesses will now face almost irresistible pressure to shift new investments to the US rather than Europe. EU industry chief Thierry Breton is warning that Biden's new subsidy package, that's the Inflation Reduction Act, poses an existential challenge to Europe's economy. The European Commission and countries including France and Germany have realised they need to act quickly if they want to prevent the continent from turning into an industrial wasteland. According to two senior officials, again, the EU is now working on an emergency scheme to funnel money into key high-tech industries. There's no point as long as as long as they're in the EU. Mm-hmm. With von der Leyen, you, you can't. You have to get out of the EU now. Listen, I wouldn't have been one of those down with the EU at any cost. People Brexit, exit, I exit, all of them, Metal exit. But now it's life or death. You you have to leave now. These people are insane. Yeah, just go down to the Breton first paragraph. Just. Um, Breton was echoing calls from business leaders. Bre- Breton was echoing calls from business leaders all over Europe, warning about a perfect storm brewing for manufacturers. It's a bit like drowning; it happens quietly. Business Europe President Frederick Pearson says. Um, so basically, yeah, it's a particular bugbear for ca- car so making crazy. nations such as France and Germany, <laughs> and, and it encourages, encourages consumers to buy American when it comes to electric vehicles. Again, electric vehicles. It's a bit like drowning. Yeah. Well, they're gonna they're gonna have to wait till they start drowning. I mean, till millions of people die from the cold, mm-hmm. and then it'll require. I mean, it'll require revolution and a replacement of the EU, or some kind of takeover of the EU. Uh, I, I mean, well, just, I'm not trying to be you know extremist here, but like it's they themselves are acknowledging that what's happening is draconian and harmful. Um, and they're just going to simp for it all yeah. the way down to maybe mass death. Is there some pushback possible? I mean, um, just go to the Sputnik article there. Um, uh, so the t- headline is: Is Washington our ally or not? EU officials accuse US of profiteering off Ukraine crisis. I mean, imagine making that as an accusation. <gasps> We've just realised. Well, which Get them in here. Are you actually profiteering off this war? We <laughs> thought it was for, for, for freedom and democracy. I mean, seriously? Um, it's, it's interesting, this one, actually. Who are the officials? Because it's not that yeah. woman on the left. Mm-hmm. She just thanked POTUS for profiteering from Europe's deindustrialization. So yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is she really the spokesperson? Is she really the mover and shaker or not? Um, Second paragraph there, uh, European Union officials and diplomats have accused Washington of profiteering off the Ukraine crisis via energy and weapon sales and warned, warned that the mood is shifting against the US among its allies on the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, one, again, as a senior European official said, the fact is, if you look at it soberly, the country that is most profiting from this war is the US because they are selling more gas and at higher prices and because they are selling more weapons. Uh, we are really at a historic juncture. America needs to realize that public opinion is shifting in many EU countries. Yeah, public opinion. Um, and then the, the next quote there down. In the, in, it's not good in terms of optics to give the impression that your best ally is actually making huge profits out of your troubles. <laughs> the troubles that they caused for you. They cause you troubles by embroiling you in a war, by starting the war and embroiling you in a war and then profit from the troubles that they uh, 
embroiling you in a war cause you. That's that's America's. Yeah, and then again, that's another anonymous diplomat. Yeah, they they can't even speak openly because the control system that is, is such a threat to their. But not not just their position, probably more a threat to their lives as well. They, they're afraid to put their names to any of their. Now well, yeah. we have heard a few French, actual named, overt French government Bruno officials. Marie, yeah. yeah, he said a pub. We have played a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Did you hear what oh. Boris Johnson said on on this topic, kind of related topic uh, this week? Um, he was talking, was it something he was like to, bloody good? He was talking to Germans. I think he was talking to German. No, he was talking <coughs> to Germans. Really here. Uh, go ahead. The countries had very different perspectives. I mean, there'd be no doubt that the, the French were in, deni- you know, were in denial right up to the last moment. The, the Germans, for all sorts of sound economic reasons, really didn't want it to, uh, you know, they were, they were I, I'll tell you a terrible thing. Uh, the German view was at one stage that if it was going to happen, which would be a disaster, then it were better for the whole thing to be over quickly and for Ukraine to, to fold. And uh, I couldn't support that. I, uh, you know, that you know, I, I think that was a disastrous uh, way of looking at it. But I can understand why they thought and felt as they they did. I remember the Italians, again, massively dependent on on hydrocarbons, on Russian hydrocarbons, at one stage simply saying, you know, that they uh, they would be unable to to support the position we were taking. Right. The moral, that's the moral argument. Well, it's bullshit as well because what he's saying is, well, we had to to save Ukrainian civilians. No, no, no. no. What you're doing now is going to kill multiple levels more Europeans <coughs> than so far because it's been a very but, limited war. But what, have been, uh, Ukrainians have died. Uh, but what about NATO unity? Oh, Jesus. Where's the NATO unity that we all heard about? Stronger oh, yeah. than ever. That's the main <coughs> point of what he's saying. France, both France and Germany, the two major powers in Europe, right. did not agree with the UK. France was like, you know, uh, yeah, nah, well, don't, it's not going to happen. Let's not bother. Uh, man, very reticent. Germany was explicitly like, listen, this is going to happen. Just let the Russians do their thing and, and leave it alone. And the, yeah. Brits, the Brits, with a stiff upper lip, they came in and said, no, we must take the moral high ground. <laughs> we must do this for Queen and country and Zelensky. That's the only reason. Um, yeah, it may expose the fact that behind the scenes, all the, the stuff, the, the, the filter or the, the facade that you're getting from the media about Ukraine, almost like we've said this before, I would stand behind a statement, even though it's not absolutely true, but I would stand behind the statement that 100% of the messaging that the world, the Western world in English has gotten since the beginning of the SMO in Ukraine is false. All of it. Yeah. In one way or another, it's false. You've been given a completely false narrative about everything that's been happening. We know the details of it. Russia's, win- Russia's losing, Russia's losing. Russian troops are freezing now that it's winter. Russia's running out of missiles. Russia fires another uh, 100 tomico- or cruise missiles at Ukraine. Oh, they're definitely running out of missiles now because that was their last 100 that they sent and then do it again. Oh, that'll be it now. For- I mean, mm. you know, I mean, you're meant to have a conversation based on the, all of those lies. Yeah, have a conversation about Barney the Purple Dinosaur instead because you'll make as much sense. Boris obviously just, on the, on the appearances of it, he sold out his former peers um, at some business forum. But he, he's confident he can do that. 
this is how messed up it is, how not messed up, in fact, how secure and cohesive, how, how unified NATO is in mm. actuality. Be- because he's confident him saying that isn't going to change it one iota. Mm. They might have had reservations, up to and including the point of nearly deciding not to do something at some point. But you see the direction. It's Everything falls towards it, everything, no matter what they want to happen or middle ground they seek or negotiations or this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, it all goes in one direction. They know that. The French, Bruno Le Maire and Macron himself, may get up and complain about this, on, this deindustrialization. They see this happening, this war profiteering. They, see that. they can get up and make those statements. But the, the people behind and above them, they know NATO will win because while he's saying it, there are French military personnel on the ground at least in Poland, if not Ukraine itself, who are training and resupplying mm. the Caesar Howitzer guns that the French government, maybe not Macron, but someone in that structure donated to Ukraine and continues donating to mm-hmm. Ukraine. You mm-hmm. see what I mean? The actuality is money Money is the thing, and maybe Macron signs off on it. Maybe he doesn't know about it, learns about it, like the rest of us, after the fact. Mm-hmm. The, when you, This is something the Russians have been trying to explain for years. NATO isn't just an alliance where you go once a year to Brussels and meet your your defense minister here. Mm-hmm. Your entire civilian and military infrastructure mm-hmm. becomes interoperable. Mm-hmm. Your satellites are used by the system for warfare. Not the physical one in Ukraine, but much more than that, obviously. Mm-hmm. The industrial espionage, the Trojan viruses. The mm-hmm. in- you cannot. You are trapped in a web. You cannot get out of that. Yeah. Absent major moves. I mean, revolutionary, life-risking, war-like position against the empire. Mm-hmm. Look, what, look what it's taken for Russia to p- finally put its bare paw down and say, no, that's enough now. Mm-hmm. And look at the reaction they get from a system. Mm-hmm. independent of what individual neighboring countries actually mm-hmm. were kind of receive Russia's point and we really sorry Russia we really don't want to do this to you but I'm help, I joined the others and I helped stab you in the back mm-hmm. because I've, I've been elected to position in Slovenia or Slovakia or mm-hmm. Czech Republic mm-hmm. but I've inherited a country that's at least four <sighs> decades deep enmeshed mm-hmm. in a control system that I have no influence over mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that, sure. that, that can boot me out. Remember what happened yeah. to Austria's government? Yeah. That whole scandal that brought down the entire government mm-hmm. because they were way too cozy yeah. with Russia. It was even explicitly articulated as a mm-hmm. reason for why they were taken down. They yeah. set up a, a phony scandal, media scandal, fell, uh, fell the Kurtz's government. They've absolutely gone, gone along. Europeans have gone along with, with the American uh, mandate for, for a very long time, like you said, and new governments that come in, their hands are tied, basically. Even if they want, most of them don't want to do anything. They're just there for the money and the, and the recognition of the whatever. Uh, and they can't do anything even if they wanted to. But um, what the interesting question is, how far will they push it? Now that they, they're starting to see the nature of okay. the beast and the nature of the, of, the, of the ally, the supposed ally that they've had all these years and what they're willing to do to them. They're willing to basically bleed, bleed Europe to keep... It's kind of like... You know, America, from an ideological perspective, the American ideologists are, realize that they're, they're, it's an existential crisis for – as much as they, Europe sees this as an existential crisis, the reason they're feeling it that way is because America sees the whole situation as an existential crisis to American hegemony. So America is kind of, <clears throat> in a certain sense, failing, you know, 
It's a, it's a, the unipolar model no longer is sustainable right. so in a America, world with 7 billion people knocking at the door. Right. So they need an infusion, basically. America is a dying, dying hegemon and it needs fresh blood. Well, I've and heard the first it. people you get, the first people who, who, who you extract the blood from, who you say to open their vein, is your, 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 not your, al- your allies, unquote, but your minions, right? Hmm. It's like uh, Igor, yeah. Dr. Frankenstein. You know, Dr. Frankenstein's uh, Igor is the first guy who's going to be, gonna be uh, have the life sucked out of him, you know, to feed, yeah. to feed his master, you know? Um, I've so, heard, but whether yeah. or not Europe will actually, when they're starting to realize that, whether there's anyone in Europe or any, any ability or any options for someone, some people, some groups of people in Europe to actually say, listen, this is, you know, we're willing to support you all the way, but not this far, not to the point of our own demise. You know, we're not going to go there. But like you said, is it too late when, when you realize that, that that's where they're going to go, which you should have realized a long time ago if you understood the nature of the beast. Um when you're so far into it, when you try and turn it around, you're neutered, basically. You've been castrated a long time ago. Um, and there's nothing you can do. Is that true? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but yeah. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre to... Uh, it's bizarre to see. see it's, to yeah. playing out and see the narratives they come up with. Um Europeans come up with, you know, yeah, to, and, and to try and keep the ship stable, you know. It's, yeah. We see them sort of opening their eyes at the same time. They have a long, some way to go to, yeah. to really grok it, you know. Well, you know the, the, the tragedy is there were Europeans half a century ago who, right. who saw this. The they wor- got this like to call. Yeah. Um, the worst ones will just, and maybe they're all of the worst ones, the worst ones in Europe will just say, well, you know, whatever. European people... Who cares? You know, there's no real love lost between leaders and people these days. That's what happens. Like in that in woman in the German government. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, care. I don't care. I don't care how many millions. I don't care what the, my get cold and protest yeah. in Germany. This time we're, we're sticking with with Ukraine. Yeah. Ukraine. So oh, in a pathocracy, the government leaders are so detached, completely detached from the population. They have no love for them whatsoever, no concern for them whatsoever. So in this in this situation, uh, if European uh, governments and government officials realize too late. Let's say that uh, they're in big trouble; that they're being they're being bled dry, and they're going to be effectively economically destroyed by the by the U.S. Um, the worst of them, and like I said, maybe that's all of them, will just go. Well, you know, we'll be all right, though. We'll still have a place at the table. People will be the ones who suffer. So who cares? Just don't do anything about it. It'll take a someone with significant integrity and morality to kind of like in these days, in particular, you know. Um, to, to to really try and do something about it, even if, if assuming that were even possible. This is um, what European governments are doing about the situation. One example. This is a notice board put up in Zurich this week. Do you, do you read German at all? I did a quick translation. Yeah. It basically says it's on a, a wall or a park somewhere in Zurich, Switzerland. Dear uh, Zurich person, people, mm-hmm. um, something you can do to save energy this winter is to pair up when you go for a shower. <laughs> yeah. That's rich Switzerland, huh? Yeah, yeah. They're obviously, 
I mean, that's not a manipulation. They're, it's hard to tell. I mean, the, the, the line between reality and manipulation or, you know, mm. you know, lies and uh, truth and falsehood or truth and lies. Um, is that, is the all the, the talk about serious energy crisis this winter, people not being able to heat their homes or, you know, feed themselves or whatever, or cook or whatever, lights, etc. Is that real? Or is, the go- is, is there some part of the government saying, you know, this doesn't have to be this way. We could change this in theory, but we think it's a good idea to wean people off because they're possessed by the green green agenda, to wean people off fossil fuels and... Um, you know, or or is it for most of them? Is it a reality where they say, "Listen, we really can't do anything about this. There really is an energy crisis. There really is a lot going to be this winter, and particularly next winter, a serious lack of energy supply for European countries, and people have to do this. So we have to put out this kind of message. So is that is that a suggestion to take uh, to to pair up to double up on showers? Uh, a kind of well-meaning suggestion as to what people can do, because really, I mean. We're not bullshitting well, you here. We're not just making this up, you know. Given given what we just articulated, the overall picture mm-hmm. of how screwed Europe is, of how by the nuts yeah. the empire slash US has the continent mm-hmm. in its vice. Maybe when the European leaders realize that this is all they can do. Mm-hmm. Try and bump Now, they're still participating in the lie by deflecting it onto the east. Putin and China behind that. Yeah. Um, so it would be far more useful, objectively, if they were to go maybe pair up and take showers because America's screwing us, as you can see from Nord Stream, etc. Mm-hmm. That'll be the next... If there's if a new development in the trend in the narrative in Europe, it mm-hmm. would be that. I mean, you pulled up a couple of interesting articles where at least so thus far they've taken tentative steps. Anonymous EU officials mm-hmm. have gone behind von der Leyen's back mm-hmm. to point the finger squarely across the Atlantic, mm-hmm. not at the Eurasian steppes. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe the first step. Um, yeah. At least just truthifying the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going to still have to go because ultimately this poses problems for, for, for national governments in terms of it. it's an internal problem because it, it Raise the specter of, you know, mass protests and demonstrations, uh, and even rioting and stuff over lack of lack of energy. People freezing, people not you know, not yeah. wanting to take cold showers, not wanting to try and heat themselves with a, a tea light under a under a flower pot, and so governments, individual European governments, and the EU in general, to the extent that they have a voice for for they don't really have much of a voice. I mean, it's, it, these days it's still. It's still national governments that people look to for their for their messaging about what's going on in their country. Uh, governments have a problem where they have to deal with the, the potential for you know mass unrest uh, over the, these energy issues. So they have a vested interest in keeping the, the population kind of placated themselves, even if they're buying into a lie uh, in a certain, a certain sense, they're propagating the lie. Uh, that they know is hurting them. <clears throat> They're having to continue to repeat the, the American mantra of Putin did this, Putin did this, even though they know it's not, even though when they're giving uh, giving interviews to other journalists saying, listen, we know this is America, but our government's still going to say that it was Putin. 
Because? Because we hope the transatlantic alliance can be saved right. or something like that. Um, wishful thinking. Those tea light ad campaigns by the German government, we were showing them on this show a year or more ago. Mm. It was going into last winter. That mm-hmm. predates Ukraine. Yeah. yeah they for were sure, warning yeah. people, you know, power <coughs> outages, yeah. looking tight out there. Um, yeah. Well, that was a whole COVID thing, right? That was a preamble to, mm. to, what, to the, the Ukraine situation. Ah, yeah, energy shortages are stemming from Cause lockdowns. Because of, of lockdowns or reduction in, uh, you know, industrial uh, activity um, and then a restart. Uh, you know, about a year ago, uh, when it gets back online, and then you have a, a massive increase in demand, which means prices go up because that's what happens whenever there's more demand. Prices go up supposedly. So uh, already, you know, there was um, yeah talk of it last year, yeah, because of COVID. But it went straight into it segued straight into Ukraine. Like you know, it's like if, it, if yeah. you're talking about a year ago, like that's yeah was two months before the Ukraine situation. Three three days ago, the. Russian FSB said they busted another plot to blow up South Stream. That's the one that goes down to Turkey, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. gas pipeline. This time, this uh, I say another because there was one that, that predated Nord Stream, but they didn't make a fuss about that, really. They just quietly reported. This time, they footage of the arrests and a um, bit more of a splash. Um, so, that'll never be even mentioned in the West, but... To understand that in the Western narrative, you would have to say, okay, Russia has busted a plot to blow up the South Stream pipeline. Russia obviously themselves intended to blow up the South Stream. So Russia did a foiled plot, a phony plot to blow Yeah, false flags. False flags all over the place these days, man. In order to keep an narrative straight, they've had to go to false flags. Yeah. Which was taboo for the last 20 years since 9-11. Horrible word. 9-11, false flag, get out of here, you dirty conspiracy theorist. Now it's like... Are you mentally ill? Yeah. Should I lock you up? <clears throat> yeah. You need pills. To even think about false flag, it's ridiculous. Now it's like, it's how you explain everything that's happening. I mean, at least in terms of the, the SMO in, in Ukraine and Ukraine-Western um, um, interactions. Uh, it's all... What you see, what it looks like, that's not what it is. It's a false flag. Mm. Yeah, Russia did it to itself in order to make you think that it was somebody else. Other Ukraine news this week, Joe Biden announces another $400 million shipments Mm -hmm. to Ukraine, all kinds of goodies. Um, A nice weapon called the Brimstone. Mm. Mm, More HIMARS, blah, blah, blah. In the real war in the trenches, Jesus, have you seen the footage from the Bakhmut area all along that uh, Donetsk front line? It's insane. It mm-hmm. is World War One type trench warfare mm-hmm. with the mud and the rain this time of year. Side by side photo comparisons of the two are like it's, it's similar. Um, it's horrific, but it, it sounds like the most progress is being made in the Donetsk Donbass front by the Russian side. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think it's quietish, right? So there's still the theory is that there's been a slowdown. They're waiting for reserves. So there's still no major launch. Maybe this winter, a winter push. I did see footage of, they claimed there was thousands. It looked like hundreds of tanks rolling in from Russia. Um, <clears throat> in Russia proper, uh, they're painted white. Right. Winter tanks. Winter, winter, winter camouflage. Winter camouflage. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I've read a few, I've seen a few analyses of what may be going on. What the, I mean, of course, they're only it's only really speculation. Although it's informed speculation, it's still speculation on what may be you know coming down. What what Russia's next moves might be. One I saw was I mean it's either stalemate and not much activity really, or within the next few weeks, say in the next, within the next month, by the end of the year. <clears throat> um, Russia will have mobilized and trained, obviously, uh, enough uh, of its new recruits uh, to launch a a kind of an invasion from the north, basically, uh, to try and encircle Kiev. Like 300,000 soldiers. And sort of take towns around Kiev, basically, and then kind of block, block off Kiev. Um, a siege, the siege, the great siege of Kiev. Um, yeah, and the regime would fall. So that's regime yeah. change. Yes. Which Peskov said this week, that's not what we're seeking. Yeah. But maybe he says one thing and yeah. well, the reality is Obviously... You're not going to be open about what they're what they're planning. What Medvedev said something about Kiev. He said Kiev is also a Russian town. Um, so when I mean, they say all those things, he's a bit tongue in cheek about a lot of stuff, Medvedev. But um, you'd have to assume, that, as as far as I'd go right now, is I would have to assume that um, it seems to me that Russia is not happy. Like because I mentioned this a few weeks ago, that even if Russia were to basically um, freeze the current situation um, along the lines, the front lines right now, which is basically you know most of Luhansk, most of Donetsk, obviously down in the south of Zaporizhia, basically in front of Crimea, a bit of land in front of Crimea, and then up up the east coast, or the east eastern uh, border. Um, if they were to freeze it there, and say that's enough, um, we won. Uh, it's all over. I mean, it wouldn't be over, right? It seems to me that Russia can't just stop now. It has to. There has to be more. Of course, just this week there was was there just this this past week there was another bunch of yeah. missiles and drones that wiped out uh, again wiped out Ukrainian infrastructure, um, energy infrastructure, yeah. and railways. Yeah. Uh, so it seems that that's most that's most likely to be preparatory to something else. It's done that several like times other, other since they announced. They're not just going to do that and then and, and expect. The Ukrainians will get so pissed off because it's cold and they have no electricity. Part of the part of well, the there have anyway. been protests in some cities. Yeah, um, but I don't think that would be enough. Given the Ukrainian mentality, uh, I think I don't think it would be enough. It may. Who knows? I mean, if your goal is just to kind of like do that and then provoke mass uprising against the government, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But Zelensky's wife claims that they've done polling. Um, and 90% of Ukrainians will support being without power right. and heat right. and food for the next three years. If that's yeah. what it takes to join the European right. Union. Yeah, well, I'm sure she doesn't speak for most Ukrainians. But um, that, seemed, that that attack on the, on the energy infrastructure, not just the energy infrastructure, but also uh, the electricity infrastructure, but also railways, you know, the, the railway aspect is, um, we're quite precise because one of the railway in, um, I don't even know how to say it, Tanip, was it? Dnipetrovsk in the center. Dnipropetrovsk. There you go. Um, I think it was that one. Anyway, it was a, it was a railway station that they took out of uh, 
action basically mm. and it's it would be one of the main supply routes from the west to, you know, the for, to, to, to the Donbass the Ukrainian troops in Donbass so they're still it's not just because that's just taking out the energy if, you're, if your goal is just to kind of like make the people so miserable that they have an uprising and overthrow the government you're not going to bother with any military targets anymore I right? don't you're think gonna, it's that I think that's a byproduct yeah. right Th- that's it's a byproduct, but it's also, you know, to put pressure on the government, pressure, pressure on the people. Because when you take out the electricity infrastructure, you're also causing problems militarily. It obviously, it causes problems for the, for the civilian population, but it causes problems for the, for the military operation as well. And they may do that again, just to kind of hit it again, to keep, take it down another notch. Um, but it seems to me that it's preparatory. And it also seems to me that, like I said, they can't freeze the situation as it is now and say that they won because that would allow Ukraine just, I mean, the West would continue to... Uh, fund arm and train and supply um, uh, the Ukrainian military for another the war would continue if Russia can say the war's over but the Ukrainians say no it's not hmm. so if Russia has to follow through with this basically it has to get to the point where the Ukrainian military it does collapse completely and, and if that's existential as the Polish PM says for Europe maybe it's existential from an immigrant point of view but well <sighs> It means it's all in. Like there was an interview I saw. Maybe it was uh, Johnny Miller, the press TV guy, is in the Donbass. He interviews a Donbass fighter, and he says, um, "We have it clear in our heads that this is the opening part of World War Three. We're already in World War Three. Mm. This is this is just the beginning. You know, yeah. it's not that he's hearing stuff from on high. That's just how they've assessed the overall, the the totality of it. The way the West is all in in hybrid war." Um, uh, you know, there'll be a there'll be some kind of resolution where people will back down. But our other topic we discussed is probably tied into that. It's going to require a sea change of attitudes, a regime change. In fact, regime being specifically the governing principles of a country or an area, the European Union, but will require a regime change in the literal sense of the word for that to stop. But until then. The totality of the situation is everyone is all in on all sides. Mm. It's temporarily frozen on the ground because of you know the muddy trenches and stuff. But um, the, the remember how remember how they articulated this at the beginning. We are going to crash Russia's economy. We are going to. You are so dead. Russia, you're dead meat. We are all in, and we're going to just keep going until you are either Putin's dead or regime change, and or whatever it takes. Most Russians rise up or something, or they go away, or we exterminate them. They didn't say exterminate. They didn't threaten nuclear war, but the, the, what I'm getting is the totality of the language mm-hmm. was, at the outset was very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, this is it, folks, kind of thing. So, yeah, but it's irrational. Yeah, and, and, irration- and, and when you say irrational these days, that means ideological, uh, especially the kind of ideologies that uh, preponderate. Uh, in 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 government, Western government circles, it's 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 irrational. It's crazy. It's detached from reality. But they have no option. You know what I mean? Again, we've talked about this, mentioned it many times before. But you're it, the problem is a country or a region, particularly a country like America and, and their allies in the in Western Europe and a few other countries around the world uh, who have seen who see have seen themselves for a very long time as uh, the hegemon. The owner, the ruler of the world, the policeman of the world, the controller, everybody pays homage to us. Any scenario that implies a reduction, a climb down, essentially, in, in, 
in that in their position in that respect is felt as felt not seen felt as uh, existential. There's a threat to my identity, who I am. It's you're basically trying to kill me hmm. in my incarnation as the hegemon of the world. Yes, but you could be like just like one of a few hegemons. That's tantamount to death. What are you talking about? Don't be ridiculous. Hmm. That's not going to happen. That's no. That's no. All sorts of bad things will happen as a result of that. So it's not going to happen. This is an existential crisis for me, and therefore I, everything's on the table. All options, all, all means available to me, short of destroying the entire planet. All means available to me to to defeat the 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 usurper, the 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 attempted usurping of my power. I will I will use. I'm reminded of a <coughs> quote from uh, D. H. Lawrence, British author. Mm. He wrote in 1923. Um, about America and Americans. He'd just been there a few months. All the other stuff, the love, the democracy, the floundering into lust is a sort of byplay. The essential American soul is hard, isolate, stoic, and a killer. Hmm. It has never yet melted. Putin seems to be determined to melt that thing, whatever it takes. And that's part of his long game, and I don't think it's too far fetched to articulate to, to suggest that mm-hmm. he's um, the speeches throughout this year have been like this is a turning point in macro history. He's either and so there's two ways you can take his speeches. It's either a very rigid on his part counter ideological point, or perhaps he's convinced in his arguments because he is describing something. And that all it takes, in quotes, takes a lot of effort on Russia's part, but so to speak, all it takes is for them just to hold firm and to not fold. Yeah. But his opponents on the other side are not for moving. It's, it's you know, unstoppable force meets <laughs> immovable object, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Um, I heard talk this week, I think it was in that Telegraph article, the guy made a claim that uh, Russia attacking the energy, the substations, the electricity substations in in Ukraine was not, you know, his, his narrative that Ambrose Pritchard, whatever his name is, uh, Evans Pritchard, whatever, claiming that Russia's attack in Ukraine was an attack on is an attack on Europe's industry and infrastructure, mm. um, and he said because part of the part of his rationale, the mo- most of it was just bullshit narrative, obviously, <clears throat> but. Part of his rationale was that Ukraine's supply of electricity to Europe, that he claimed Ukraine had been supplying electricity to Europe, and now because of Russia's attack on the electricity uh, infrastructure in Ukraine, Ukraine wouldn't be able to supply electricity to Europe anymore, and that means puts Europe in an even harder, even more difficult situation, difficult position. And I just looked it up, um, and Ukraine never supplied any electricity to Europe um, until... Von der Leyen visited this year. This year, after the SMO started, they, the SMO started, they, um, they, they started, hatched a plan to, to link up U- Ukraine and Europe's uh, electricity grid, right? Um, and so they got it going in June, whatever, and this article is from July uh, 2022. And it's uh, President 
Vladimir Zelensky announced yesterday that Ukraine has begun exporting electricity to the European Union. Yay! For the first time ever. So, yes, Ukraine began to export electricity to the European Union this year in July. And to begin with, they would send off 100 megawatts. Now, Scotty, I don't know if you know how much electricity the European Union uses on a yearly basis, but I imagine it's a lot more than 100 megawatts. Uh, yeah. Cause Something like terawatts? or No, well, France has 52, 52 or 54 nuclear reactors, <clears throat> and usually a nuclear reactor... Well, it's a nuclear plant, but usually a modern nuclear reactor supplies about 1,000 megawatts, so one gigawatt. Right. So that 100 megawatts is like one-tenth of what your average modern nuclear reactor puts out. Right. Ireland might need like five reactors. France has like 52. Right. Right. So it's it's not actually... It's like nothing. And they were starting with 100 megawatts, but then they got 100 megawatts. I don't know if they got those 100 megawatts from from Ukraine, but it was like, thanks for us. Yeah, okay, so it works. And then, boom... Russia knocks out the electricity, and then that's a disaster for Europe. Because see those 100 megawatts, that was our lifeblood. Like, that's what this douchebag in the right. Telegraph was actually using as part of his argument, right. how Russia was trying to deindustrialize Europe by attacking uh, Ukraine's electricity substation because Ukraine was supplying electricity to Europe, and now it's not anymore. Those 100 megawatts, what are we going to do, Neil? Huh? What are we going to do? We're bereft. He's a douchebag. The he guy's is. a complete and utter douchebag. There is one country that's suffering, though. Moldova's was connected. <clears throat> yeah. Their grid's connected well, to bad Ukraine's. Idea. Moldova's should've in the dark out. now. Yeah, should have figured out a long time ago. Um, not. Don't hook up Ukraine. Anybody. Ever. For any reason. Um, yeah, so what about... What else? You were going to talk about something... Well, on a lighter note, the World Cup's taking place. Ah, who cares? Oh, yeah. Um, England fans had to be banned from wearing their Crusader outfits. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> they're like, what? 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 It's just- we won the war. <laughs> we won the Crusades. Yeah. You know what's striking about this World Cup? There hasn't been an English riot yet. Yeah. Oh, there'd all be... Well, actually, there wasn't also by England fans in Russia. When It's funny when they go to places where, you know, they're a little bit more scared... They're less likely to riot. They get the soles of their feet beaten with cables, with electrical cables, if they <laughs> and they know it. Uh, probably, um, yeah. What we, but it was, I, I posted something on, on Twitter actually about the only thing I posted in terms of the actual World Cup and the football, as they say. Uh, and by the way, the debate over whether or not American football is football or who gets to use the word football. If you look up the term football, um, football is a sphere. A football is a sphere. Uh, American American football isn't a, isn't a sphere, so um, no, I'm sorry, America. Anyway, um, I'm sorry, American sports lovers, but that's not football. Um, and mostly you throw it, anyway. So it's not foot or a ball. <laughs> um, yeah, Israeli. I've been seeing on Twitter a bunch of Israeli journalists yeah. in Qatar, sports journalists trying to talk to fans of obviously world nations about their experience in Qatar and uh, from what I've seen they weren't being received very well for some reason I mean Qatar obviously a Muslim Arab population its affinities would lie elsewhere not far from Israel or actually in Israel in a place called Palestine uh, but uh, I even saw, I saw like 
like Chinese and like Japanese, those. Brazilian people. They say, "Where are you from, Israel?" And they go, "Oh no, 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 no." <laughs> <laughs> they just walk away. It's weird. Like, and these are just commoner garden folk. Obviously, these are just yeah. these aren't like in a you know not specifically. They wouldn't be necessarily uh, politically minded people. You know, they're just especially you know someone who goes to, goes takes the ball to go to Qatar to, to see a football match. You're obviously more into football or, or sporting events than you are into politics, right? But they had that right on the tip of their tongue. Yeah. Have you got one there? Um, there's a whole bunch. There's a woman, a uh, Palestinian emigre somewhere. She posted a thread of them. Uh, now, to, to clarify, Israel aren't playing in it, so, but they, they just have media there course, yeah. covering it. So um, We'll play a couple maybe. So these are Moroccan fans. From Israel. Huh? Israel. Israel. Yeah. Hey, new friend. What? We are peace. Israel, no. Palestinians. But we have peace, huh? Peace? You sign peace? You sign peace? You sign peace? You sign on the peace agreement? Yeah. You sign a peace agreement. That's actually not true. Morocco has not. The UAE has. Qatar hasn't. A few Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern countries have signed. Remember, Trump's built big enough all the peace deals he brokered um, so that Middle East Arab countries would recognize Israel, finally. Um, UAE, yes. Qatar, no. Um, Morocco, no. Uh, there's a few, there's a bunch more. I'll post the, that video. She's got a whole thread of them. Mm. They're very funny. And some of the guys just when they when they realize that they're Israeli, they're like, "Oh no, 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 no!" You can see like they're just shirking. Oh, yeah. I almost feel sorry for them. Should I feel sorry for them or not? No, no. Well, that's what you get, you know. If you're gonna, yeah, act like that. If you're gonna, well, the journalist didn't act. Why? But the point didn't is, didn't act against, did he? Um, is he notable for having acted acted against? Uh, anyway. Yeah, it's not his fault, but what can you do? Um, what else? What were you going to... Do you want to talk about... Uh, Sudden deaths. Did you watch that? Yeah, I uh, watched about half of it. I haven't right. finished the rest. Um, we're talking about died suddenly. Um, it's still up on Twitter. Although something happened. It, it quickly got a, mil- a million views after the first couple of days, but it's, it seemed to have been slowing down at 1.7 as of today, Sunday. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there's been some... <clears throat> Throttling. Um, on Rumble, though, this is why I'm more, not sure about the the Twitter account because on Rumble it has seven million views. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I, Alex Berenson says it's bullshit mm-hmm. or mostly bullshit. Um, do you have any strong take on it? You probably do have a strong opinion on it. Me, I don't have strong opinions. Um, or anything. Um, the stories keep happening. Here's one today. Um, local media in Saskatchewan, Canada. Saskatchewan. Um, headline, Sask's Today. Sask woman dies allegedly after COVID booster. Daughter in shock. Mm. And specifically, she was in this pharmacy store I think she just had it she dropped dead died suddenly um yeah 
one more from this week. This this got a bit more international news. Um, it was a marathon in Spain. Kind of a new normal for marathons, it seems. Three heart attacks, 33 hospitalizations, a Spanish half marathon. Well, uh, The organizers blame the weather. <laughs> Climate change, says. Yeah. Climate change. So, um, yeah, I don't have a strong opinion on it. I mean, I think anybody who's been paying attention knows that um, there are risks with the mRNA vaccines for COVID and that based on, I mean, nobody's collecting data is the problem, but I think it's reasonable to at least suggest at this point that data should be collected on, um, hard data should be collected on deaths and serious injuries from, uh, you know, and I mean, obviously I know there's a verse database and that kind of stuff, but people poo-poo that because anybody can submit any information to it. There's no official serious government, if I can say serious government in the same sentence, um, or any scientific studies being done on the numbers, likely numbers from of, of, of deaths and serious injuries from as a result of the mRNA, the experimental mRNA vaccines, uh, or gene therapy as some people call them. Um, but I would say that it's reasonable to suggest at this point that the numbers of adverse events and serious adverse events and deaths are probably higher than the threshold that was that was that would have been allowed for any other vaccine mm. in the history of vaccines mm. uh, that's not to say so i wouldn't get hysterical about it and say that you know the vaccines are killing 10 percent of the population 10 <laughs> percent of the people who take it or something like that but even if it's 1%, that's still way too high. If it's if half a percent, that's still way too high. If it's 0.1%, that's still too high for, for killing people. Uh, so, of course, they're going to want the people who promoted these vaccines up the wazoo and manipulated and coerced and threatened a billion people into getting them, including the manufacturers, of course, are not going to be talking about this at all. They're going to be studiously ignoring it, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, so... In that respect, I don't think we're ever going to get um, hard data on it. No. Uh, although, let's just watch, Scotty, this. This is our friend, Dr. John Campbell. It's, let's just watch. It's only like, I just want to watch. It's one of his recent videos. It's the same topic, but slightly separate, uh, slightly associated but separate aspect to it, which is deaths. Um, from COVID, well, just play the first 30 seconds, whatever. Well, welcome to today's talk, Friday the 25th of November. Now, for the first time in the United States, we've got data that says there's been more COVID deaths in people that are vaccinated versus people that are unvaccinated. And we want to look at that in a little bit of detail in a minute and put some context in that. Just and also, we want to. Um, so, we'll put a link to the description. You can watch that video. Um, that's obviously separate. Doesn't relate specifically to the vaccine, um, or does it? Because this is where you've got a kind of like a. It's confusing, you know. So you have <laughs> COVID deaths. <clears throat> officially, P 
people who have died from COVID, whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated. Uh, the documentary that you're talking about died suddenly. Doesn't has nothing to do with COVID. Doesn't re- reference COVID. It references only the vaccine and mm. ascribes the deaths to the vaccine. Whereas here we have actual data. The, the data as far as they'll go, they'll, they'll, they'll produce data because they have been producing data all, all along mm. on COVID deaths. But and in their own interest, they want to know uh, vaccinated or unvaccinated. So there are a lot of f- official statistics, and we've you know been around long before now, like in the past six months or a year, or whatever. There's plenty of data about. Uh, the, the difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated in terms of COVID deaths. Um, but when you're talking about a death from COVID and higher, higher deaths from COVID and vaccinated people and unvaccinated people, that kind of does tend to bleed into the died suddenly <clears throat> documentary because it's not easy to pick out the difference there, whether... Uh, you know, you're calling it COVID, but if there are serious injuries and deaths from the vaccine, you give somebody a PCR test and they've got COVID, but did the vaccine kill them or did COVID kill them? And is right. COVID killing anybody these days? And does it matter? Did it ever matter? Because uh, COVID these days is basically the flu. The Since Omicron and on on since the various the variants since then, have been literally nothing more than a, a cold, a head cold or a common cold. Did anybody care about the common cold killing people ever in, in modern history? No, <clears throat> not really at all. Nobody even bothered collecting statistics on that. But they're still collecting statistics on COVID deaths. Um, now, to say that the common cold killed someone, it's very unlikely that the common cold or some, a virus that's akin to the common cold would have killed anyone. Uh, undoubtedly, that person was in a, in a serious, uh, seriously ba- poor state of health already, as, as has been the case throughout the whole pandemic years. Uh, the vast majority of people were elderly with and or with uh, uh, serious comorbidities. Um, and that's something we've talked about in the past, whether or not it was the, not just us, everybody with COVID or of COVID, right? Yeah. Um, so in this case, basically that, the title of John's uh, this video should be more vaccinated deaths than unvaccinated, unvaccinated deaths from the cold. Right. Uh, if you put it in that context, your focus would tend to go on the vaccine. Right. Because nobody dies from the cold. So that's my strong opinion on it. Very measured, but point made. Um. Yeah, the, I mean, the, died suddenly. The documentary is suggesting, you know, while well, the basis of it is this is a depopulation yeah. program. It's intended to kill lots of people. Mm. Um, on the face of that, I can't. That's not true. The fact is, the population of the United States and the West is growing still. If it's a depopulation tool, it's not working very well. It's not working well. Then you've got the, in other political areas, you've got the massive push for mass migration in the United States, which was recently articulated by Chuck Schumer, Senator Chuck Schumer, as to why we should allow in all of them, millions. Mm-hmm. He said 11 million currently would like, give, yeah, give the manager, come in, come, all of them, and bring more, bring your friends with you. Why? He said because 
the Native American, Native American, you know what I mean, population is not reproducing enough. He said it. He said the quiet part left on that topic. So what's it got to do with this? Well, that's an American, someone high up in the establishment, articulating that we want more people, not less. More, not less. <laughs> so again, there's a cross-purpose thing. Here. So if all of that COVID thing, all of what it came down to as a one overall strategic aim was to depopulate, mm-hmm. it's, under, it's, it's undermined by other things going on, you know? Yeah. Um, um, so... That was Chuck Schumer, you said, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when they when they put it in those terms, because whenever, you know, the... Um, I have the clip I'm saying it. Do you want to... You do? Yeah, go ahead. I want to hear it. He's up because on in, terms of the, in terms of the, the migration that came from African countries in the Middle East and stuff over the past few years into Europe, you know, several million. Germany took it. One million, two million, whatever. Uh, people, and there's a lot of hoo-ha about it. The Brits are very concerned, of course, about immigration and all that kind of stuff. There's lots of people, lots of immigrants coming across the, the channel every day, more and more. Um, there was, at that time, when it was a bit of an issue, there was rumours that we were hearing behind the scenes. That there was some commentary from official sources saying that it was it was to bolster the population, the working population, uh, uh, that Europeans weren't having enough babies, so you know. But it, that wasn't the official narrative; that was it was humanitarianism. Mm. Now here he's saying the same. Uh, our immigration in the U.S. has always been about we're a country of immigrants, you know, openness and bring people in. It's never explicitly said mm. that, and I don't, I don't understand why. In a certain sense, you know what I mean? Um, would it be would it have gone over badly or something for him to say? Let's just listen to what he says. Uh, now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, we have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers, and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. Yeah, so my question is, what, what was wrong with that rationale? For, for opening borders to immigration all along. Why do you have to present it in these because flowery terms that people immediately went, that's bullshit, you just When there shit. was so much social uh, upheaval, when the largest wave came in 2015, hmm. you know. It was too much all at once. Too much all at once. Rapes and crimes went hmm. up drastically in hmm. Europe to the point that ordinary Germans noticed and exactly. the alternative for Deutschland party was formed right. and did well in elections. It was like, what was part of that was that the people were trying to – they obviously – people didn't accept the rationale that they were being given. It's because we, the neocons and the Eurocrats who supported the neocons, just have bleeding hearts. So they're mm. like, we don't believe you. So why are they really doing it? And so the most popular theory on the internet was the Great Replacement. Mm-hmm. That has been a long-term goal of Euro-American Western elites mm. – to infuse the population with non-whites. Mm. That has a strong racial component to mm. it. What they, they, whitey is a problem. Mm. 
So if we bring in more brownies, right. why do it be less of a problem? Right, something right. like that. Yeah. And it was, actually, it was called the Great Replacement Theory. It actually stems from something, a Frenchman, a French philosopher who is now castigated as far right, whatever, blah, 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 was writing about in the 80s and 90s. Anyway, Great Replacement. But at the core of it, if you leave aside the racist part for a minute, the core of it was the claim that people were finding resonance and agreeing with and clicking, liking and uplinking blah, 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 and uploading on the internet was, okay, our leaders are giving us a bullshit narrative. So clearly the narrative that best suits is this one. They're doing it deliberately. On, they want people en masse mm. to come in. And it's because, well, while people were kind of not acknowledging because they saw that as part of the conspiracy, is the objective fact that reproductive rates on, among whites specifically Europeans is way down. It's, it's, it is not at replacement levels. That is objectively true. But that got folded into the conspiracy theory where, oh, well, they did that to us. They did that to us first as a preamble, and now they're bringing in their solution to the problem they created. Hmm. That's folding two things together. I think it's, it's separate. Hmm. The solution, they're, tr they're true. Schumer, Schumer they, were, they were right about it. It's, it's racist to mention the Great Replacement, but Schumer just articulated that part of it very well. Well, it's not the, the reason for the replacement. It's not it, calling it the Great Replacement is some kind of like uh, Machiavellian uh, <clears throat> plan to get rid of Whitey and all that kind of stuff. It's not racist. He's saying it from a very practical point of view. There's not enough people to fill the jobs. Now, to, 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 to substantiate that claim, there would have to be uh, job opening signs or, or uh, uh, you know, um, help wanted or whatever job openings across America, everybody should be seeing them. Or in a lot of places in America, everybody should be seeing that there's a lot of jobs here that nobody's taking. Therefore, bring in people to take them. Fine. Nobody would really have a problem with that if you're bringing in people who are just going to be working in the economy. That's what he's saying. Right. Um, it's not about replacement of anybody or anything. It's about, it's about filling jobs. So that's a good narrative. I don't think anybody would have a problem with it. As long as Everybody agrees and can see that, yeah, I've got a job, everybody I know has got a job, and there's more jobs to be had, but there's nobody to fill them. Okay, bring in some Mexicans, bring in some whoever, South Americans, bring in some Ukrainians, whoever, uh, to fill those jobs. It's all good. Help, good for the economy. You know, there'll be more Uber drivers, hmm. be more Uber Eats for me to select from. Um, okay, but now how do you square that with what they're warning that there's not enough resources to go around for everyone in Europe? What kind of resources? energy, food, some of y'all are going to have to die. Quick, bring in millions more. The, ra the two rationales don't, yeah. aren't coherent. Well, maybe. <laughs> you know? I don't know. Uh, they probably have some, some way to work it out or whatever where the economy needs a boost, you know? So you need to, you need to beat people first to produce more jobs to, to, to boost the economy and therefore everything will work out energetically as well. I think the American one makes sense now yeah. because they, their population is now 332 million. Uh-huh. It's grown. We used to talk about it being 320. That was just two years ago. It's 332 million now. Mm -hmm. um, and they wanted it to go up and up and up and up. Theirs makes sense because we now see the grand strategic plan. They're looking ahead to China. Mm. To be competitive with China, they need to mm. absorb Russia's industry mm -hmm. and Europe's many, many, many hundreds of Europe's industry and many hundreds of millions more from South America to have the capital of people and capital, capital, labor, and thousand, yeah. to square off against China. Mm -hmm. 
theirs makes sense. Europe's doesn't make sense mm. in this climate. Sorry, you should all pair up for showers or even just not take one. Here's millions of more people. Mm. And in that, the only way it would make sense, and if there's a Machiavellian component to it, this has been suggested, is that it's America who starts the wars, the Middle East and Libya, and Europe has to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And you remember the whole thing about directed migration mm-hmm. at 2015? That was another counter-narrative they put out. It was a bit, little bit too precipitate. They did it too early, and it was a red flag when I heard it. They, some of their geniuses, like the Ambrose Evan Pritchards of The Telegraph and other places, were saying, I see what's going on here. There's a scheme afoot. Putin is sending migrants into Europe to destabilize Europe. Very clever Putin. Again, they were projecting out. So I think that yeah. if there is an overall coherence, it's that in Europe's case, it was, it was genuinely to cause what actually happened, social unrest, um, problems well, for the European Union cohesiveness. Well, back then there wasn't um, a problem with Brexit, that. Brexit, splitting, fracturing. Maybe, they wanted to keep it together. They didn't want countries going all populous and independent, but they didn't want a coherent EU response for this time. They wanted well, it back to be then, but in the first immigration wave, it was about it was about jobs. That's what the, I mean. That was the <coughs> word on the street. Let's say was that it was about jobs, about filling jobs for people. And there was no energy crisis back then, so there was no no reason. I mean, I don't. You know, who is it? I think it was a Turk said that they've heard about people talking about using uh, migration as a weapon. So migration can be used as a weapon. You flood a country with enough uh, immigrants, um, you know, breaking through borders and stuff, you can cause chaos in that country, right? But the immigration into Europe over the past five or six years. Um, has been managed by governments on purpose. There was no, in any significant way, there was no mass waves coming in that couldn't be stopped. And there was no attempt to stop them. They were brought in and they were housed wherever and integrated, I suppose, into society. Not all of them. Some of them went back home or whatever, but a lot of them stayed. Um, I'll give you a a conspiracy theory since they're popular these days, right? Mm -hmm. A conspiracy theory would be that the the replacement problem in Europe, the population (coughs) decline in Europe, uh, or they're certainly not going to be. Rep- they're not going to reach replacement levels, because replacement le- replacement level is basically the idea of people dying, and then enough children being born to replace those people who died. More children being born, people are dying. Mm-hmm. But over the past couple of years, there's been a spike in deaths, and we just were talking at the beginning of the show about the possibility that over the next few years there may be a serious spike in deaths. So your replacement levels are going to drop even further potentially, and maybe there's. Models, right? Models are good, right? So models are saying, based on the current geopolitical situation, energy crisis and all that kind of stuff, that, uh, like we mentioned about cold, uh, people, 10 times more, more people dying from cold than from heat. If cold is on the agenda, then you're gonna ha- you may have large numbers of deaths of elderly people in particular and vulnerable people. And then you're certainly not going to have enough babies being born to replace those. So what's the solution? Migrants. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, right. Maybe that's my conspiracy theory of the day, but I don't, it's not a strongly held belief. I don't have any. Else. Subject to more data. Uh, do we want to just do a quick comment on? We've been watching a show on Netflix. We don't do a lot of Netflix and chilling, uh, but we've done a bit now and again um, because apparently it's a very popular thing to do. So we tried to check, decided to check it out, and we stumbled on a, a show called. I don't know if people know who Graham Hancock is. If you've watched Joe Rogan, you probably know who Graham Hancock is. But um, Oh, people will know. Ancient Apocalypse is the most watched documentary of right. all time. It's only been up a few weeks. But, 
and it's well, one of the top ten all time for Netflix. Well, here's a very short, just give people a t- teaser. I don't. Know if, would we be allowed to play, play this on YouTube? No. I mean, it's on YouTube. Are we allowed to re- repeat it? Is it the official Netflix trailer? Netflix, yes. Sure, I think so. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Netflix trailer. 45 seconds. <clears throat> We're allowed. Let's do it and see. I think so. If there's... Did you know that you were picking a fight with academia? Because there are a lot of people that just don't want to hear this. You have been at the front of the line for decades. And you exposed me to a lot of these controversial ideas that have now been substantiated. Well, I'm... Graham Hancock. I don't Dangerous. claim to be an archaeologist or a scientist. Better not. I am a journalist, and the subject that I'm investigating is human prehistory. Racist. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> so, we watched it. It was pretty good. Uh, covered a lot of stuff we've uh, researched and we're interested in ourselves. It's fairly measured, fairly reasonable. It's a bit overdone in, in, in terms of the hype of, of the the. the, the, the the presentation of it, yeah. you know, the, the <coughs> but cinematography. It's but it's for Netflix, so it has to be that way. <coughs> but I was just, uh, I saw a link somewhere, and here it is to The Guardian. Uh, I just did a report on it. So this is all, this documentary only came out a few weeks ago, um, and then The Guardian's all over it. And there's this dude, if you just throw it up, this dude called Stuart Heritage. He's got a lot of heritage in, 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 in him, so uh, he would know what he's talking about within his played shirt. So uh, he wrote an article in The Guardian, Ancient Apocalypse is the most dangerous show on Netflix. It's got a preposterous theory, and it's one of the streaming giants' biggest hits, and it seems to exist solely for conspiracy theorists. Why has this been allowed? This should be cancelled, censored right now. My God. I thought this was a spoof. Uh, So he's serious, and it's just basically Graham Hancock going, look, here's what I've dug up, here's what I've found. And he basically, you know, just to give you a background, he's talking about 12,000 years ago when mainstream science accepts that there was uh, some kind of major global catastrophe, uh, kind of more or less called the Younger Dryas, which was a a kind of an extinction of most of the the living things on the planet. It was global in scope. And... um, and so they accept that that's and, and and that it was caused by a most likely by at least involved a, a some kind of a cometary bombardment or some kind of space rocks hitting the planet that were, were part of the catastrophe. That's accepted more or less. It's not controversial to say that's not not, not saying there's no dissenters, but it's yeah. not controversial to su- suggest that it's there's yeah. a lot of evidence for it. In fact, twelve thousand years ago, end of the last ice age. So Graham Hancock just focuses on that, and his thesis is that around that time. There's a lot of evidence from that time and after that, there's a lot of evidence that that cataclysm destroyed, possibly destroyed, a fairly highly evolved civilization that science doesn't recognize. That's basically it in a nutshell. It's six, six episodes and that's it in a nutshell. He just goes through the evidence. Eight. Sorry, eight episodes. He goes through it uh, over those eight episodes, the evidence for it. So this guy then pens this and he's like, it's dangerous. Why is this being allowed? What a freaking Karen. If, there was a, if, ever, if there's such a thing as a, a male Karen, he is it like... Um, so, and his thesis, I won't even bore you with the freaking article I wrote, it's complete and utter garbage, but there's the bit in it, uh, where the hell is it? Um, Search 9-11. Yeah, that had to be something 9-11, right? Yeah, it's the second last paragraph. <clears throat> so he says, that's the danger of shows like this. It whispers to the conspiracy theorists in all of us. And Hancock is such a compelling host that he's bound to create a few more in his wake. 
believing that ultra-intelligent creatures help to build the pyramids is one thing. He doesn't say ultra-intelligent creatures. Anyway, help to build the pyramids is one thing. Well, he, well maybe he's, Hancock maybe talks about that in, in his books, whatever. He says, it's one thing to believe that ultra-intelligent creatures help to build the pyramids, but where does it end? Believing that election fraud is real? Oh, good God, no. Or even believing 9-11 was an inside job? Oh, I hate those people. False flag. False flags don't exist. What are you talking about? Oh, wait, they do in Ukraine, but whatever. Shut up. Worse. If you were feeling particularly mean-spirited, you could suggest that Netflix knows this and has gone out of its way to court the conspiracy theorists. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the Guardian right there. <laughs> so you were asking me earlier today when we were talking about this. Obviously, this guy's article is just totally spurious, but what... What's what would be we wondered his real argument if He's he had scared. one? Because that's that's ridiculous. Well, Stuart, he wet himself Stuart right Heritage, with all due respect, is a nobody. So let's find out from a somebody if you know, as he says, Hancock isn't a real scientist. So let's mm. ask a real scientist. Well, another article that trashed the series is this one. Um, not a big outlet, but you know, it was published by MSN and others. Wales Online. Um. <laughs> this is not the headline Graham Hancock's Ancient Apocalypse Netflix series quote promotes racist conspiracy theorists mm. claim archaeologists archaeologists not, not gender studies professors archaeologists that, that can't be right I thought no that's bullshit okay archaeologists and racism so if you scroll down to um, uh, the 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 archaeologist he cites is someone called Flint Dibble from Cardiff University School of History. Where is it? Um, I think you're gonna have to search for. Uh, continue reading. Yeah, hit just hit continue click reading. On continue reading. Yeah, that opens it up. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Dibble, in a huge 40-tweet thread that has been retweeted by many fellow archaeologists and scientists, Dr. Flint Dibble from Cardiff University School of History, Archaeology and Religion says, in his new Netflix documentary, Ancient Apocalypse Graham Hancock has declared war on archaeologists. He's <laughs> declared war. A special military operation on archaeologists. His, his rhetoric shows, shows distrust in experts and Atlantis conspiracy theories promote From white supremacy. supremacy. So I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Well, he goes on below that. In one of his articles, um, oh, he's quoting someone else here. Yeah. Stephanie Hamhofer, I presume, is another archaeologist, yeah. writes, Pseudo-archaeological arguments may seem to be simply fun to entertain, but they are invariably heavily biased against black people, indigenous peoples, and other peoples of color who are doubted to have been responsible for their own history. Yeah. Pseudo-archaeology is useful to white nationalism because, specifically because it casts doubt on the achievements of BIPOC communities, opening the doors to rewriting history through a white power lens. So what are, these huh? what are these loons? And these are not gender studies. These are archaeologists who have come through the yep. gender-infused 
They've now graduated. This, come this, through this, academia. Is, this is the That's next level of hell we've descended to. The ones that Jordan Peterson warned about, we're past that now. Now all the experts, in quotes, are infused with this shit. Right. It's not the humanities only anymore. Now it's, 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 it's all of them. You remember COVID. The, the, the expert from Johns Hopkins University, right. someone that the media was having on to tell us all about how COVID behaves and the viruses and what you should and should wash your hands, safe, mm-hmm. hands, safe space, blah, blah, blah. She gets up on TV in the middle of the BLM riots and she goes, well, the virus, this virus is bad, but the virus of white supremacy is worse. Mm-hmm. So these riots are justified. Anyway, back to the article. So this, I, I still can't get a rational narrative out of that, but I think what they're suggesting is that Hancock's overall theory in which he's citing, he's, bringing to, he's describing the, the myths from various regions of the world, which all have similarities. And one of the similarities is that they talk about a person or persons who came over the seas after a great catastrophe and instructed them on, particularly on astronomy and uh, agriculture, right. but other technologies, other right. knowledge as well. And that that was how in the, in the theories, mm. the mythological stories from all over the world, uh, ancient South America, yeah. into Middle East, etc., that was how they restarted mm-hmm. it, the, the, the modern age, the current age, the post-Ice Age post-ice collapse age. age. 12,000 years ago, yeah. That's all. That's it. That's, that's not... Hancock didn't invent that. No. That's, he put that together with other things to make this overall theory. They're suggesting that that smacks of racism because, and Hancock never implied there was a racist issue that the people who came were white saviors or something like no. that. But they're looking at that when they hear, when they watch that same show that we watch, they see racism because mm. they say that, I don't know, that's the white savior complex mm. or some shit like that. We're like, anyway, Hancock's clearly over the target because this this has pissed off all the right people for the wrong for the right reasons from our point of view. We, we've been aware of like this stuff for a long time. Younger Dryas uh, was in the news ten years ago. The, um, the 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 possible likely culprit for it was discovered in like twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. Mm-hmm. The Greenland, impact yeah. the impact site they found in One Greenland. Of them in Greenland, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Just. It's, it's clown show. It's, it's clown work. It's absolute clown show. But it, it, it's interesting that um, it's interesting that this is one of the most popular things net that's been on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yet. For all the crap that's on there, and, and even all the half decent stuff that's like crack to people, you know, where they have to watch endless seasons of it, mm-hmm. and binge watch it. It still pulled an inordinate number of dopey zombie. Mm-hmm. Crack addicted people mm-hmm. off the usual, you know, um, Westworld. Not literally stuff. crack addicted, but Netflix crack addicted. Yeah, info crack, yeah. you know, infotainment, you know, right. or pseudo history. What was right. the one where, you know, winter is coming, uh, yeah, the Dragon Lady, Game of Thrones, that sort of stuff. It, I don't know, they like it in part because well, it like speaks to a world war scenario, end of the All world, right. climate upheaval. Right. The themes, they, they like the it, even though it's fictional. Themes that governments are pushing. Indeed, telling people all the time. But here's and then here's a documentary that suggests um, we've right. been here before. There's been there's been a, a global ish civilization that had a high tech of its own mind. We can't see it anymore, right. except for a few trace clues. It got destroyed in because a it got wiped out in a cataclysm. That had nothing to do with climate change. 
or, or man-made global warming. Yeah, that's his problem. That's the problem. That's, so it that, pings that's all the dangerous. Yeah, it's undermining. Not only is it undermining uh, people of color, and it's racist and sexist, probably, and uh, transphobic, but it also undermines global warming. The global warming hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm done, and uh, I ain't got nothing more to say about this clown world because it's self-evidently run by clowns and people talk nonsense all the time, basically have discussions on the hardest thing to do uh, and the hardest thing for Elon Musk to do after, after he took over Twitter is to try and get some actual factual information for people to discuss rather than people discussing bullshit. You know, discuss, like, basically talking about something that is not true and discussing back and forth what the truth is about this thing that's not true. How true is this thing that's not true? It's not actually true. You know, it's false. You're being fed lies repeatedly over and over again, transparent lies over and over again. Stop talking about them. Find the truth and then discuss that so you can go further into the truth rather than just be going around in circles on, on, a, on a falsehood or a partial, partial truth. Mm. He stated this week that his, his goal is to change the narrative. Yeah. Well, he didn't say which means. narrative. So I think yeah. he, all of them, the whole thing. Yeah. That's a, that's a tall order. But um, anyway... Okay. Two hours almost. We're gonna leave it there. We got we got carried away. We lost the run of ourselves talking about the nonsense. So yeah, um we'll leave it there. Thanks for thanks for watching folks, thanks for chatting, commenting. Um we hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week with another one. Um so until then, uh have a good week. See ya. Thanks for watching, bye all. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.